Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Previously on Mentally Yours. It can be stressful because you're worried about paying your bills. Um, can you afford your rent or your mortgage? Are you going to be homeless? Um, have you got enough money for food to eat? Um, so I think not having enough of money um, can, can cause quite a lot of stress. It's Mentally Yours from Ellen and Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. While you're here you should check out our other podcast which is Good Sex, Bad Sex. My name's Ellen. You may have noticed there's no Yvette this week. That's because we love her and she deserves some time off, but she'll be back next week. This week's guest is Rupin Colsey. She's a freelance journalist who's written some brilliant stuff for Metro, and we're going to be chatting to her all about mental health issues in the Asian community and how she came out to her family about depression and anxiety. you had your own experiences with mental illness and mental health issues um with depression and anxiety uh, that I only sort of noticed when I was about 16 and then I guess got got worse when I went to university and I did find at first it was very difficult to talk about it because I didn't really feel like people in my family really understood me but it was amazing how much that's changed just by talking about it yeah. How did your family react to it when you started talking about it initially? Not not badly, just not just sort of more like oh get over it sort of thing. You'll be you'll be fine. I don't think it it didn't come from a place of not caring. It just came from a place of oh it's not really as serious as you say. But I think after continuing the conversation, they began to see that it was was more difficult and got me lots of help and gave me a lot of support and I'm really grateful for that. Was it kind of difficult on you to be the one kind of educating your family about it and pushing to make them take it seriously? I think it is very difficult. I think you'll feel a bit like you're a black sheep. Mm. Um, But I think after telling, after talking to my family about it, I realised that I wasn't the only person in the family. We just hadn't spoken about it Um, or that, that they had all had similar problems. They just, they didn't name it. They didn't name it. 
But then again, there's also something like very counterproductive about naming an illness as well, because then you feel like it sticks to you like a label. Um, but I think there was just a, oh, that's just a normal part of life, deal with it. But mine was obviously much worse. And how have you kind of helped your family to understand now? Are they better at kind of getting what mental health issues are about? Are they able to help you deal with things as well? They're, they're much better, honestly, probably through reading my writing. I think they, they understand it better, but also we've just become more sensitive to each other's needs. They're able to help me through just being able to talk about it, like if I'm having a particularly bad day. I think my mum appreciates that it's not just me being grumpy or being in a mood. But equally, that was my lack of communication with her about it before. Like I just wouldn't tell her if I was feeling particularly down. So I think we communicate more, I get a lot of support, and they do like reading my writing about mental health. Do you find writing about it easier than talking about it verbally? Definitely much easier, yeah. because you can just um, delete the bits you don't like. You can't really do that when the words just come out. Exactly, and it's slightly less scary than actually looking someone in the eye and being like, I feel not great. I definitely find it a lot easier to just write stuff down. But it, when you write about it, it's also like... a it's really difficult to write about it and not be really cliched about it. Like I've read a lot and there are just so many metaphors and it's it's just kind of like, it's very difficult to verbalise at the same time. So I think it's like towing that line between being real about it, but also not, not using cliches as well. It's really difficult because I think just in general, I think because you know the person who came up with the black dog for depression, mm. that is brilliant. But I, I have never been able to cart with anything else because most of the time I just think of depression as this awful, unnameable thing. It doesn't exactly put me in like a creative headspace. I think about it as like a vapour or a fog. Yeah. I don't really see it as a... Actually, I've never really liked the black dog metaphor. It, I just don't get it. But um, I I think of depression as like a fog. Yeah. Or a vape. I, I think of it as vapours, which sounds really weird. There's someone, um, I'm not a massive Harry Potter fan, before anyone gets annoyed, but a lot of people are saying it's like the, um, God, what are they called? Dementors? Oh, yeah. That's a depression kind of thing, and they can follow you around, and they don't take a proper shape, which I find quite interesting. Oh, yeah. Did you say you experienced anxiety as well? Yes. Um, How does that manifest for you? I don't really get panic attacks anymore, but I think it's just sort of, I'm... I'm generally quite a twitchy person. I have a lot of energy and I don't stop moving, but it is anxious energy. So uh, having a tight chest, I, if I don't take medication for it, I really notice it. My heart is usually racing just generally. It's just racing. So yeah, no, yeah, same. really fun. <laughs> but no panic attacks. So that's good. That's really good, honestly. Just having, I remember um, when I was having them really badly, I literally had like a calendar of like ticking the days off, like no panic attack today. Yes. Oh, that's really nice. That's embarrassing, but yes, nice at the same time that I haven't had one in ages. Um, It's like a mental health advent calendar, except actually, it's actually really not. (laughs) No, like the opposite, like you open it and there's no panic attack today. That's pretty good. Yeah, I'm happy with that. That's definitely, I think, I think the root of the, for me dealing with my depression was thankfulness yeah so if I'm ever feeling really down and this is something that I so actually weird train of thought um when I spoke to my family about about depression my family do a lot of yoga and meditation and stuff like that it's very very Indian yeah 
brilliantly Indian. Love it. But, you know, tapping into the mindful, the mindfulness stuff or, you know, or just, just, I don't know, just, just noticing how you're feeling if your energy's bad, if your energy's good. That stuff really helped. So actually using stuff from my heritage helped. So for me, thankfulness is really helps with depression. And also, you know, yoga breathing techniques really help with anxiety. So that's kind of the ways that being an Indian woman helped with treating your mental health issues. Mm. Were there any things that made it more complicated or more difficult? Being a perfectionist doesn't really help. But also, you know, sort of like people have said to me, if you're a woman, you have to be really, really good at your job to get anywhere. And if you're not white as well, you have to be really, really good. So I was kind of like, well, I'm not white, I'm a woman. Oh, now I've got mental health problems. That, that doesn't really help. I think it was, it felt, it felt like something that I couldn't deal with and I didn't have many points of reference. Like I didn't really see any Indian women full stop growing up mm. anywhere. I mean, in, in media, I mean, obviously yeah. <laughs> surrounded by them. But um, I also didn't, I didn't really know it was a thing for us mm. um, because we don't talk about it. And also in the media, we haven't really had any column space before. Obviously, it's changed now. Yeah. But yeah, but I think that made it harder. Thing. Like, I feel like a lot of kind of stories of anxiety and depression have been accepted because they are by, um, you know, well-off, slim, conventionally attractive white women. Mm. Um so they're more accepted whereas if you are a different kind of minority and you're already facing judgment there's definitely a pressure to be the good one mm. if that makes sense yeah like um, the model minority thing. exactly and it's i think that's a really toxic toxic thing because it's similar with men men have to be strong and they're not allowed to cry or be upset and i think it's a similar thing with mm kind of race and culture as well like being a being a good good indian girl or being a good children child of immigrants i don't know um maybe but i also think i have to appreciate that even even if i've got i'm a, i'm an indian woman i've still got a lot of privilege so i think it's sort of accepting that I've got a lot of privilege in the fact that my family had the means to be able to help me deal with things um that I do have a voice in the media now stuff like that I do agree with you but um I think especially with 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 activism around race and stuff I am a cisgendered straight woman as well and Pro probably conventionally attractive uh, so it's I, I don't know like I, I do I do want to share my stories but I also want to make sure that I'm not blocking people's voices sure. out like we need to hear more from trans people um we need to hear more about black women's mental health full stop as well yeah, okay. I'm I'm telling my own story because I, I can't tell anyone else's but I think yes I acknowledge I've had some disadvantages but my my goal primarily would to be to lift other people up as well i'm glad you said that that's a really like good way to respond to that question <laughs> i don't i don't i don't want to seem like i don't i don't i don't feel like a victim yeah and i don't i don't think it's a victim mentality but i also think that a lot of the time thinking of my differences doesn't help mm. and i think also what you were saying about how specific parts of your kind of family's culture actually helped you mm. that's really interesting because that isn't 
I mean, I obviously come from like a British, white, tight upper lip kind of family. And when I went to them about my mental health issues, the response was not like yoga. And that actually could have been really helpful to me. Mm. Um, So it's interesting that actually it can be more of a kind of plus rather than a con. It definitely, I I went to a homeopath who was an Indian woman who really helped me find find remedies and stuff. I think, yes, we have to acknowledge that shame, honour, certain issues do exist in our communities. But you know, you don't you don't also want to make your family look like we're all like a poo from The Simpsons and stereotyped. Um, every family is different. I mean, I know, I know a lot of British people have issues with talking to their family about mental health. So it's just, just my view on it, really. So when we're talking about kind of mental health in the Asian community, that's obviously quite a big kind of bracket. Who are we talking about? Does it differ between different generations and different areas? How would you say mental health attitudes differ between, you know, the massive span that is the Asian community? Um, well, I'm talking about South Asians, so I guess I'm talking about Indian communities like North Indian where my family are from probably is pretty similar in Pakistani families because that's right on the border to where my family are from one thing I do think should be covered is how East Asian people deal with um, mental health that would be really interesting so looking at perhaps the way uh, Chinese third generation immigrants deal with mental health because I genuinely have no idea mm. um and also, I guess, well, I'm speaking from my perspective, so I'm talking, I'm a third generation immigrant. So I guess I'm talking about the families that aren't the image that you have in your head when you think about an Indian family, I guess. I don't know what people think about when you think about an Indian family. You probably think about mum decked out in full sari, dad in some loafers with a gold chain or something. I don't know what people think about when they think about um, immigrant families but f- in my perspective I'm talking about parents that seem relatively westernized but those attitudes are still behind that you know my parents have been here for most of their lives my dad's been here since he was 16 my mum's been here since she was two and my grandparents were here before that so you know a lot of the conversations are very weirdly British about mental health skirting around the issue and it's not that bad but it's backed up by things that are very Indian you know, the fact that we just, just get on with our work, don't make the community look bad in terms of talking about your mental health and don't complain about the way we talk about things. What kind of conversations around mental health happen kind of within your family where it's kind of Britishy and very Indian at the same time? I told my dad that I was feeling really down once and he told me to take a cold shower. Okay. Firstly, he slightly ignored it, which was the British bit, and then he went why don't you just take a cold shower, which is something that he read on like an Indian forum because he loves like herbal, not not that sort, you know, the sort of, you know, homeopathic stuff. I haven't actually seen a lot of people recommending that. Apparently that's like a proper... Well, then you're just of depressed and you're yeah, cold freezing. and wet. I tried it and I think I literally sobbed in the shower because I was just like, this is horrible. To be fair though, if you think your anxiety is bad, it's nothing as bad as when you're standing in that shower before the cold water's about to hit. That's true. That's actually much worse. How do you think your parents would react if they were feeling kind of down if they had a mental health issue? Um, my dad would absolutely not talk about it and not show it. Again, really weird mix of Indianness and Britishness as well. Um, because I don't really think 
traditionally, if you were in the Punjab, you just don't say what you think at all. So he wouldn't do anything, but it would be very obvious that he wasn't feeling good. My mum would just laugh it off, probably. After I sort of started talking about my experiences, they were more open with theirs, but I still can't really get them to open up about the ways that they felt. I think because they think it's too personal. Can you talk to us about why it's different, how it differs being or having a mental illness within that culture? I think lots of themes. I'll start on the the commonalities and then I'll go on to the differences. I think the commonality is that there's a lot of shame around mental health. Um, But I think when you get to shame within other communities, within Asian communities, within black communities, family reputation comes into it. And also, I don't know whether there's a greater misunderstanding in our communities. In my experience, there is a lot of misunderstanding. And that's because if you are second, third generation immigrants, previously, other people's mental health wouldn't have had much attention because you'd have been working for, you know, to buy a house, to get your food. So um, I think the commonality is shame, but the reasons for the shame can be different. And I think there's probably a less awareness in our communities than than I'd hope for. And you mentioned differences as well, aside from the commonalities. Mm. What are those differences? I think shame and honour come in. I think the shame is the commonality, but honour and reputation is probably the difference. The communities are much closer. Um, so you're, I guess you're more subject to other people's judgments. Um, if you're going to have an arranged marriage, there are ways that your mental health could count against you. And, you know, I think I think the closer communities really intensify that. And then I said the lack of knowledge. I do think there is perhaps less knowledge about mental health than I'd hoped for, particularly with depression and anxiety in in South Asian communities and also with substance abuse as well. Are people less able to talk about mental health within kind of those Asian communities? I'd say so, yes. I think the, the language hasn't really been created. So uh, I read a really good article, there is no, there is no Urdu word for depression. Um, oh, that's really interesting. So know. the language probably in those languages hasn't been created. Um, but also there is, perhaps coming from the shame, coming from the honour, there is a lot of silence around mental health um, because of the stigma. And also because if you if you were like a first-generation immigrant, you would just get on with it and not really talk about it. And obviously in the UK, that's the way the attitudes were as well. So that would have made it worse. Do you think in general there's anything that, we should all be doing differently around how we talk about mental health and also how we talk about mental health specifically within Asian communities. I wrote about men because I feel like that's an angle that we don't really talk about. So I'd say more stuff about Asian male mental health, tackle all the stuff behind that. I also think that we should talk about maybe how racism-related trauma feeds into people's mental health. Um, because I went to a therapy session and she was like, so how do you think being brown affected your experience of mental health? And I never really thought about that, but it definitely does feed into it. And ways to change talking about mental health. I think referentially I've found that naming my conditions doesn't really help me. I get it's necessary to put in an article, but um, I just accept them as like the vicissitudes of life now. Naming them actually trapped me a bit. That's just my experience though. In what way did it kind of trap you? When I said to myself that I was depressed, 
it was just sort of like, well, you're depressed now, accept it and don't try and get out of it. It's not the same for everyone. It can be different for for lots of people. But for me, naming it didn't help me deal with it. I think that's really interesting. Because it is <laughs> like an, that's why I ask, not um, accusatory, like why not? <laughs> because I think it is an honest and interesting debate because I've heard really differing reactions to that question. Thanks very much to our guest, Rupin. This is usually a bit in our podcast where Yvette and I chat about what our guest has just spoken about and talk about our personal relationship to it. But obviously, as Yvette is not here, it's me on my own. Um, I found the topic that we were talking about with Rupin really interesting today, just because obviously I am a white British lady, so I don't really have that kind of cultural pressure. Um, and I think it's such a broad topic that I'd really like to learn more about. My dad's mum, who's obviously my grandma, is um, Burmese and she suffered with mental illness and the way that she approached it and dealt with it was completely different and that's partly because of cultural difference, also generational gaps. I think there's a lot of work to be done in terms of talking to parents and talking to people from different places and who've been raised with completely different attitudes to mental illness and working out how we can communicate about these better. It's really tough to talk to your parents when you know they've been raised to think mental illness is just nothing important or something you can just get over. And it's going to be difficult until we kind of change the education around it and make everyone understand it from a base level. Goodbye from mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. If you've been affected by any of the stuff we've discussed today, please contact Samaritans on 116123 or go to the website at samaritans.org. Thanks very much to our guest, Rupin Colsey. Thanks to our producer, Sam Bonham, and to Lucy Baker for the jingles. If you like this week's episode, please give us a review on iTunes and join us online. We have a safe space for chatting about mental health issues on Mentally Yours. It's a group on Facebook. If you search Mentally Yours, you will find it. And you can also keep up with us on Twitter, which is at Mentally Yours, yours spelled Y-R-S. See you next week. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.